You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Sean Reynolds, the owner of Summit Properties Northwest, Reynolds and Klein Appraisal, and your host of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. So during this time of the coronavirus pandemic and the shutdown of essential and non-essential businesses and just about everything else, we just seem to be having one major calamity after another. And yesterday, yesterday was Monday, June, uh, Monday, not June. Yesterday was Monday, April the 20th, 420. And the oil markets really got rocked. And I know a lot of people are talking about that. And now it's impacting the stock markets today, especially. But oil, what's the deal with oil? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I am not an oil guy. I'm not a futures guy. I'm a little bit of a stock market guy. I know enough just to be dangerous. But what I do know is that oil right now is basically really rocking the financial markets. I was texting with Dan Chapman of uh, Fairway Independent Mortgage. I was like, hey, take a look at the 10-year treasury. It is, it's down to like 0.565 or something just ridiculously low. Everything's just getting hammered on, and a lot of it has to do with the crash in the oil market prices. So let's take a look at that and see what's going on and see what's happening. Because one of the headlines I saw yesterday was that oil was uh, oil closed, the May futures contract closed in a negative position, which is a wild concept because something can't really have negative value. But in a futures position, it can. So let's jump on in and take a look and see what's going on. And don't expect a super in-depth analysis for me on this one because I don't really have that background, especially on futures. Futures are kind of a weird trading anyway. It's kind of its own little own little deal. But I am going to cover some broad strokes. And I think you'll have a better understanding after this podcast of kind of what's going on. So yesterday, um, the let's see, what is it? The WTI crude uh, for the May delivery paired its losses and was trading at $3.80 a barrel after picking up 41.43 so far in the session. And that followed a stunning 306% decline on Monday. So yesterday, oil prices just boom, slid so hard. And that placed the front month contract, which is the May contract at negative 37.63 a barrel. So let's talk about that. So negative $37.63 a barrel for the May contract. What was going on? Well, May contracts, um, that expired today, basically. So there wasn't a ton of trading going on at the end of a month of the futures contract. There's very little trading going on. Basically, the only companies that would buy a contract at that point in time would be like an airline or somebody who needs just a bunch of oil right now, something along those lines. But those companies, because they're not really flying, they're not doing much, they've got a bunch in reserve and they don't need it. So very little volume was going on with futures contract yesterday. And that kind of allowed this um, massive decline to happen. And for the first time ever, and that's why I'm doing this podcast, because this is something that's really unusual. For the first time ever, we had a negative closing 
uh, on a per barrel uh, basis for oil. And so what are the dynamics that have gone into that? That's what I've been researching. And that's kind of what we're talking about now. So the bottom line is, is that there is a massive oversupply of oil in the world, because the Coronavirus shutdown has taken out basically everybody using oil. So people doing cars, travel, cruise line industry, anything that uses that type of energy, and crude oil goes into making a bunch of other, you know, gasoline, diesel, that kind of things, they refine uh, crude oil. And so it's the basis for all those energy sources. And right now, nobody's really doing much of anything. I was looking at my car the other day, and I'm like, when's the last time I got gas? Because I'm literally driving to the office, which is, I think, maybe a two and a half mile drive from my house. It's not very far. I know people out there who do a 45 minute or an hour and a half long commute, you're going to hate me. But yeah, um, so I short commute, but I can't remember the last time I got gas. And then I was like, Oh, yeah, I did get gas. And it was like, two weeks ago. And that's pretty unusual for me because I don't, I don't do a ton of driving, but I do enough where I got to get more gas. And I have an SUV and it's not the greatest on gas. But um, yeah, just not a lot of time at the gas station. And I know a lot of other people who are, you know, they're maybe non-essential business and they're at home. They're not going through gas at all. So multiply that across the U.S. and across the world for a lot of areas that are shut down. Your demand for oil is way, way down. And I don't quite know all of the particulars, but there's OPEC plus, which is basically Saudi Arabia. And then Russia had Saudi Arabia and Russia had a price war going on for oil. And so there was a glut of oil and that has reduced prices even further. And now we've gone to a position where we're trying to cut the oil production from Saudi Arabia and Russia by 10 million barrels a day. And if I got that wrong, I got most of it right. I probably got 75% of it right. If I got that wrong, don't kill me in the comments. But that's kind of what's going on is the coronavirus shutdown has basically cut off demand for oil. And then you had a glut of oil before that they were driving prices down anyway. So kind of this double whammy effect of what's going on. And so yesterday was kind of the major, oh my gosh, look at oil. And so then all the energy sectors followed. And now the stock market today, I think the Dow, when I started this podcast, it had maybe a half an hour to go, something like that. And it was down 500 points. So down like two and a half percent. So it seems like there's something every day that's going on that's rocking some market or the real estate or stock market or whatever. But yesterday it was oil and today it was oil as well. And what's super interesting is that with the futures contracts, those kind of go out into the future. It's what you would pay for a, a barrel of oil down the road. You've got May, you've got June, you've got July and August is that those markets are recognizing the futures markets of, of oil are recognizing, okay, when this shutdown happens, you're going to have demand pick up. But how much is going to de- is demand going to pick up? How many of those businesses are going to be able to pick up? What's the time frame look like? How does that work? And that's a lot of what futures contracts try and guess. And so there's this massive spread between what's happening right now today and yesterday, which was the end of the May contract, 
with the June contract, which is now considered the front runner, it's considered the front of the curve for uh, futures contracts. And those are kind of financial terms that you don't really need to know, but that's what's going on. So you've got these massive gyrations in the market going on. And a lot of that has to do with just the way futures work. It's not that any of this really translates, I put my hands down, don't know why I was doing that. It's not that any of this translates directly to gasoline prices. It doesn't, but gas prices have been falling pretty dramatically. And in a lot of areas of the country, they're really low right now. But it's not like, okay, futures contract for May was negative 37.63 a barrel. Are we going to drop gasoline prices, consumer gasoline down to 10 bucks or uh, 10 cents a gallon? No, that's not going to happen. It's, it just does the futures contracts for oil don't correlate like that. So don't think of it that way. Just think of it as, ah, the futures are doing something weird, and that's impacting everything else. So that's kind of what's going on. So because I'm not a great expert in this, I, I highlighted a bunch of quotes that I'm going to read on information that I think is critical, and I probably wouldn't be able to reel it off the top of my head like I can real estate because I'm trained in real estate, not trained in the stock market. So here we go. Monday's traverse into negative territory for the May WTI contract um, effectively means that producers of crude must pay for buyers to take oil off their hands due to a dearth of places to store the commodity. That's really wild, isn't it? So you are paying the owner of a futures contract to take oil off your hands and you got to pay them to take the oil because a lot of the oil storage capability right now it's getting full or it's earmarked for oil coming in there's there's something already planned for so much of the storage out there that you got to pay people at times when people are flipping out on the the futures market you got to pay people yesterday monday to take the contract if they have to actually take the oil because they're going to have to do something with it and storage is becoming difficult to come by because there's such a worldwide glut of oil. When oil turns into a negative yielding asset like yesterday when it closed, that's a signal that the imbalance between supply and demand has reached a crescendo so great the producers are losing money to get oil off their books. Now, that, that's what happened yesterday, and I think that was it's kind of a blip in, the, in that contract. Um, I, I was following some of the futures this morning, and a lot of them look like they are down, but that's because most of the damage has already been done, and it's kind of following that trend, looking for a turnaround there. But I don't really know how the futures um, respond to this kind of information. But right now, all of the futures contracts for oil are on a downward trend, and that's because there's no demand for it kind of worldwide yet. So the epic decline for crude prices comes after a group of major producers, including the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, and Russia, a group collectively referred to as OPEC Plus. So Russia is not a part of OPEC, but in OPEC Plus, Plus is basically Russia. So OPEC Plus last week struck a historic agreement to curb daily output among oil producers by around 10 million barrels in May and June. So that's a big deal, but a lot of what I'm reading is that even with that restriction of the supply, there's still so much oil out there that that's not going to have that much of an impact on the skidding of oil prices downward. 
The pact was intended to end a price war between Saudi Arabia, the de facto leader of OPEC, and Russia. Price war between Russia. And this has erupted just as demand for oil was expected to tumble amid the outbreak of COVID-19. So those are those two factors I'm talking about. Analysts estimated that the OPEC Plus deal, which included agreements to reduce daily output by non-members, including Norway and the U.S., wasn't sufficient enough to sop up the excess oil and offset the shock to the demand exerted by the virus. That's what's happening. There's just nothing going on business-wise, so you don't have the demand for that oil. The deal was simply not enough, with analysts estimating a fall in the demand side of close to 30 million barrels per day. So we are down consumption of 30 million barrels a day. So when you add that up over time, that is a massive amount of oil. And that's what you're seeing going on. That's three times the cut reached by OPEC Plus. So OPEC Plus cut it by 10 million a day. And COVID is basically taking out on its own with all the shutdowns. 30 million barrels a day, just a ton of oil is not being used. And yet it's still being um, we are still generating it. The unbalanced state of the energy market has encouraged producers to store store oil in the hopes that prices will recover but expectations for higher values in the future have only exacerbated further declines. So you've got oil companies kind of putting it aside saying let's, let's not sell this until this price gets higher. We know that this thing's going to go back up. Can we hold it for long enough to make some money on the other end? So you've got a ton of that going on. And what that means is that oil storage has become a premium. WTI contracts for late, later develop, delivery, for example, have traded up much higher prices than the front month May contracts. The steep upward slope for prices in later months in crude, a condition known as contango. And before my research on uh, futures uh, of oil, I had never heard of contango. And that underlines, contango underlines the dearth of storage of crude in recent weeks as the coronavirus wreaks havoc on global demand for oil. So what you've got is a position where you've got the futures, con the, the front futures contract is selling at XYZ. And then the other futures contracts down the road, June, July, August, are selling at a wildly different premium. And that's because we know that once the all the economies kind of get back up and running, your demand for oil increases dramatically. So it's having a real effect on the oil futures market right now. And that's kind of what we're experiencing. And it's, um, it's really rocking the financial markets as well. Uh, on Monday, speaking during a daily briefing about the U.S. to respond to the pandemic, President Trump said the U.S. is looking to add as many as 75 million barrels of oil to the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. All right, that's great, but that's not a ton when you've already taken out $30 million a day worldwide across the uh, world of uh, consumption. So you're going to be storing a lot of oil is kind of the bottom line. And for those, I forgot to say, for those who didn't realize what WTI was, that's West Texas Texas Intermediate, and that is, it's basically crude oil. Um, Brent crude is what the worldwide standard is. So yesterday, oil fell for the first time in history below zero. Today, now it's back up. It's trading a little bit higher, but it, we've still got this really wild ride kind of going ahead of us. 
And storage is quickly filling up, meaning there will so soon be nowhere to store crude oil, which is a crazy idea. So one of the major considerations with what happened yesterday is they're calling it the opposite of a short squeeze. Any traders that are still long crude at that time must take physical delivery while anyone short must make delivery. What happened yesterday in the futures market was effectively the opposite of a so-called short squeeze, a phenomenon that may be more familiar to investors. In a short squeeze, traders that are short the market fear that they will be unable to find the underlying physical commodity, oil, and are forced to cover their positions, driving prices up sharply. We had the opposite happen yesterday. People are like, oh my gosh, I've got this position. If I have to actually take it, I got to do something with it. I'm going to give this away. And that is, they gave it, they, they basically paid somebody to take their position, which drove prices negative. That's a wild occurrence to have happen. And you got to have just some crazy economic things going on to make that a reality. And that's why most people will never see this again in their lifetime. And it's kind of a really weird phenomenon, super interesting, but also it's like, you've got to have some crazy stuff going on. And that's what's going on. So out yesterday, traders with long positions scrambled to get out amid a fear that it would be difficult to find a place to park the physical oil amid a rising glut of crude. So in a way, Monday's yesterday's price action, while certainly bearish, was also something peculiar to the futures market with the action in the thinly traded May contract. I talked about the May contract. It's, it, was, it, it expires today. It's not going to get a lot of action because only so many companies need to deal on that. The thinly traded May contract, not necessarily an accurate reflection of supply and demand fundamentals. So it got weird. That's the bottom line. What happened yesterday was weird. And we don't expect to see that until, you know, this next month. We got a month to go before that happens again. Will we see that again? I don't know. I think you're going to see a lot of areas with at least a plan to kind of go back into business and get, uh, get the economies rolling and get the demand for, for oil back up. All right. So, yeah, will June suffer the same fate as May contract in coming weeks? After all, storage is likely to become even more tight in the weeks ahead. That could be a very big reality. I don't know. Um, but, you know, we're not using any oil now. Are we going to be using it within the next month? Probably not. But are people going to be kind of creating some game plans for how that's going to go? Yeah, I think so. And this is just one of many, many economic situations we have to deal with with entire economies shut down. So the storage is running tight. We know that. Those storage considerations are front and center with data showing a historic jump in U.S. inventories, including a sharp rise in Cushing, Oklahoma. That's the delivery hub for NYMEX futures. So there's massive uh, place to, st to store oil, obviously, uh, in Cushing, Oklahoma. And they're kind of looking around going, whoa, we, we have more room left, but not a ton of room. This is getting really weird. Okay, and so that's kind of word is out that storage of oil is going to become a real issue. Supply is threatening to overwhelm storage in coming weeks, and the flood of crude oil shows no signs of abating. Kind of scary. This is from the director at Mizuko Securities USA in a, a call Monday. If crude storage levels continue to rise at their current clip, U.S. inventories will break their all-time record in two weeks and reach maximum capacity in eight to nine weeks. 
So hopefully we will have things back and rolling before that happens. Hopefully the numbers from a lot of the states will be able to support the 14-day. Whoops, bang the mic. Not a, it's a big no-no in, broad, in uh, podcasting. So hopefully we'll have a 14-day decline in enough states where people will know at least, okay, we're going back to work. We're going to crank start some of these economies. They're going to see the consumption go back up. And so I think a lot of businesses, especially energy related, will be able to go, okay, we don't have it quite yet, but it's coming. Because once these uh, states and countries around the world are able to basically resume business, you've got built in demand for oil. Uh, another quote is, it tells you that storage is fully accounted for, and if you want to take delivery of your oil, you better have a place to put it or a pipeline to put it on, or otherwise you're really screwed. I thought that was a really interesting comment. Um, to have to have a place where you could store oil. Who would have thought that would have happened? I grew up in the uh, 1970s. I was a little kid, and we had the oil embargo, and so oil came basically from the Middle East back then. There wasn't a lot of domestic production of oil, and there was an oil embargo due to politics, and so you had to wait in these lines forever and ever and ever. There was a real shortage of oil. Just didn't have enough enough oil to go around. My dad uh, bought like a 1972 Pinto, a little tiny Ford car, little four-cylinder, and a lot of those cars were designed... Uh, because of the oil embargo and because we had a, a crisis in oil. So my background in oil crisis has been there's not enough. There's way too way too little and it's going to cost way more than it should. There's not enough. Now we're dealing with the opposite, which is there's way more than storage around the world is going to be tapped out and it's going to have impacts like it had yesterday and it's having. So the last thing I'm going to talk about is even cheaper gas. And that's what a lot of people are wondering. Well, I heard the, that the futures contract or whatever it was I saw in the media, oil was close to the negative position. Does that mean gas is going cheaper? The fall in the nearby contract won't necessarily translate into ever cheaper gasoline prices at the pump. Analysts said gasoline prices in some states have already dropped to more than 10 year lows at the end of last week as Americans stay home thanks to the lockdown and uh, aimed at containing the pandemic. Kind of knew that the futures market has its own ecology and that really was at work today. And it's more about the inner workings of trading and investors and trapped long positions than it is about typical supply and demand fundamentals. So a lot of what's going on here is unique to the futures market, and it's not necessarily to do with the bottom's going to drop out of gasoline, of consumer gasoline. So that is about it for what I know on what the craziness that happened in the oil market and continues to, to go on today. And I think you're going to see it as a lead story moving forward because energy... Uh, has so much to do, energy prices has so much to do with how businesses run, how whole households operate, and it's a really needed commodity in today's society. And if you've got markets that are doing wild gyrations, it's going to impact things. So that's really about it. So thank you so much for watching. If you're on YouTube, thank you so much for tuning in on the podcast platforms. We're doing a daily podcast during the coronavirus shutdown. 
Thanks again for watching. Again, I'm Sean Reynolds from Summit Properties Northwest, Reynolds Decline Appraisal. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.